What's up, guys? This is your host, Kayla Taylor, and you are listening to Episode 5, Season 2 of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to last week's episode, those of you who shared, liked, and just, again, just simply listen to the podcast. I always appreciate the support. I just looked at some of my um, statistics and it looks like we are over 600 total plays across all episodes and that just blows my mind a little bit especially when I see that people even outside of New York are listening to no pun intended listening to me speak every week It, it means a lot it means that I'm reaching more and more people and that's always super exciting so again I appreciate all the love and support if you want to support my podcast further then definitely head to my anchor page or my website www.listentomespeak.com and um, subscribe each month and hopefully I can take this podcast even higher this year. If you didn't quite catch my website and don't feel like rewinding back to hear it, I always um, give my website out at the end of the episode so don't worry you'll have more than one chance to catch it. So I just want to get right into this episode. So let's start off by talking about The weekend's halftime show performance. Now, The weekend has been grinding for a long time, and he was definitely an appropriate choice for the halftime show, despite what some people had to say about it. But you know, there are always going to be haters no matter what anyone does, whether you're a celebrity or you're a non-celebrity. You're always going to have someone hating on you because some people just love to be miserable. But I definitely think that The weekend was a valid choice for the halftime performance. Like I said, it's incredible that he has a Greatest Hits album only 10 years into his career, and it actually makes sense for him to have one. There are a couple of artists who have put out Greatest Hits albums or compilations or playlists, whatever you want to call them these days, and they're only about five or six years into their career, and they only have about five or six hits, and it doesn't really make sense for them to have one yet, but The Weeknd definitely has quite the catalog and I wasn't side-eyeing his decision to put out a greatest hits album especially considering he was performing for the halftime show it was definitely a smart choice and I just read that for tracking billboard next week the weekend will be number two on the billboard 200 which is like a chart for albums with I believe 77,000 sales with 7k being pure so which means and for those of you who may not know, pure sales mean like people are actually buying them versus just streaming the music. So it was definitely a smart move. However, I will say that his performance was a little underwhelming. For someone who spent $7 million out of pocket to put on a great show, it didn't really reflect that, at least not visually. His performance wasn't bad at all, but it wasn't as good as I was expecting it to be. His After Hours era has been extremely theatrical and visually stunning, so I was expecting his performance to at least have great visuals, but they were just okay. If you've seen his After Hours music videos, you would see what I'm talking about. The Weeknd is a great singer, but he's not really an entertainer, so I wasn't expecting him to put on a Michael Jackson or Beyonce level show, which is why I think some people are bashing his performance. But he's had incredible visuals this year, era so I felt like that could have been better and that's where my critique is really coming from like I said he's a great singer I've I've never seen him live though after watching his performance and you know him announcing that he's touring next year I do want to see him live but he has an incredible voice he actually sounds like his recordings live so he's a good performer in the singing sense but not you don't go to a weekend concert expecting him to dance and put on like a highly 
visual like show but because after hours was such a movie like um era for him if that makes sense i was expecting that the same kind of experience I get from watching these music videos. I was expecting to get that in his performance. And so I found it underwhelming because it wasn't quite, um, it didn't, it didn't, um, give me what his music videos gave me. And maybe it was kind of hard to do considering I'm pretty sure there are some boundaries he had to, to think about when performing at the Super Bowl. There are certain things that he that were probably way too much money to try to include seven million dollars for a Super Bowl performance is already a lot of money so I can only imagine how much it would have been had he had gone the extra mile like he does for his music video so that could be why it was a little lacking. I wasn't surprised that um, there were no guests because After Hours doesn't have a single feature on the album and The Weeknd is kind of a one-man band so it made sense for him to not have any guests. He's not really a flashy artist in that way where certain artists perform at Coachella and you know that they're going to bring certain artists out to perform with them. The Weeknd is kind of not like that. He's kind of self-contained in, in some ways. He's not quite a hermit like Eminem and J. Cole are, but he... J. Cole is, but I will say that he's kind of like to himself in his own way, if that makes sense. And that's probably why I wasn't um, disappointed that he didn't have any guests. I don't think, like I said, I don't think any guests would have made sense. It would have been nice. I, I didn't come up with this idea, but I saw someone tweet it. It would have been nice if he did perform, um, I think it's Pray For Me off of the Black Panther soundtrack, his song with Kendrick that's also on the Greatest Hits album. It would have been nice to see him perform that and, and give like Chadwick Boseman a little tribute at the Super Bowl. That would have been nice. Um, but other than that, the weekend performing by himself, I think was a good move. It made sense. As a fan, I'm proud um, that he made it this far. I'm not going to lie and say that I'm like an OG XO fan. There are fans of his that have been around from the beginning. I was a fan of some of his music, but I really became a fan during his Starboy era, which is in 2016, because, you know, he kind of changed and he made a change to his sound that I liked a little bit more than the alternative gritty stuff. But as a fan, it's been incredible to watch him become what he is, one of the biggest stars, I think, of this decade and, and make it to the Super Bowl and performing at the Super Bowl is a big deal. So I know there are a lot of people that had something negative to say, but I am more, I'm one of the more positive people. And even though um, I don't consider The weekend's performance as iconic as some people are saying it is, I do think it was still a good performance for sure. And definitely the Super Bowl halftime show is a great promo tool because after watching his performance, I not only wanted to listen to his After Hours album again, but I also wanted to go and listen to his Greatest Hits album, even though I had heard all of the music on it before, and go and listen to his old stuff. I'm gonna be honest, I haven't heard all of the songs off his off of his trilogy mixtape, which is just a compilation of his first um, three mainstream mixtapes. I've heard a few songs, but again, at the time, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of The Weeknd like that. But I definitely, after he put out his Greatest Hits album, I think there's only like one or two songs from those mixtapes on the greatest hits, which Wicked Games is, of course, one of them. Um, I definitely want to make my way into the trilogy and listen to it and see if now that I'm a fan of The Weeknd and now that I'm a little bit older and my music taste has expanded, I wonder if I'll return back to those mixtapes and actually like the music better than I used to. We'll see. But again, congratulations to The Weeknd. 
Um, there were a few people who were talking about who they who they would like to see perform at the Super Bowl within the next three years. I saw a lot of people say Ariana Grande, and I gotta say, she's a big, big star. She's a mega star right now. I I do want to see her wait maybe five or six years before she does the Super Bowl, and that's not again like I said she's a big star. It's not to say that she's not big enough to do the su- Super Bowl, but I feel like she hasn't hit her peak yet. Like I feel like she's still capable of putting out more hits and making great music. So I'd love to see her kind of you know reach her full um, popularity if that makes sense. I want to see her hit her peak in popularity before she puts on. A Super Bowl halftime performance, I definitely think she needs about like three or four more albums and then a Super Bowl performance from Ariana Grande would make more sense. And I'm also basing that off of her Coachella performance. It wasn't bad, but you can definitely tell like, oh, this is an artist who give her another five or six years, maybe even 10, and she puts on a show like that, it's going to be incredible. And I don't really think that Ariana Grande has hit that. Not that the, I guess... I guess you could say the same for The weekend too. They haven't hit that OG status yet. They're still very young and early in their careers. So I'd like to see Ariana Grande put more years into her career and um, put more bodies of work in her discography before we see her do a Super Bowl halftime performance. But the topic did make me think about who I'd like to see within the next three years. i definitely love to see Usher. I think Usher has an incredible catalog. He's definitely that type of artist that if you give him a Vegas residency, which he does have, you give him a residency, it makes sense because his catalog is one of those timeless catalogs where he doesn't ever have to make new music again. He can just tore off the old music because they're classics and he's got such a following that loves him for that, for his old music, that they'd go and buy tickets to for a new tour like that, I know I would, because I grew up on Usher Confessions is my favorite album of all time, so I would definitely go to his Vegas residency if I could afford to go to Vegas uh, right now, but I'd love to see Usher do a halftime performance. He's a great entertainer. Like I said, he's got a great discography, and I think he'd put on one hell of a show. I'd also love to see Nicki Minaj do it. Much like Usher, she's got a good discography. She's got big hits, popular hits too. And I think also Nicki has great stage presence too. And that comes from her theater background. So I think that she'd put on a really entertaining Super Bowl show. I definitely think that it would, um, there would definitely be some controversy surrounding her performance because she's Nicki Minaj and controversy kind of surrounds her no matter what she does. Kind of like her Grammys performance back in 2011, I believe it was. But I'd love to see her put on a halftime show. I think I'd enjoy it. I think a lot of people would. I can't think of the last rapper that did a halftime show. I don't know if there is a rapper that headlined their own Super Bowl halftime show because usually it's singers because they're more prone. They're they're the real entertainers. Like there are not a lot of rappers that put on a show like Beyonce and Michael and Janet did. So. I think she would be the first rapper to do it, and I think she would be the first rapper to make... That would make sense to put on a halftime performance. And I know this is gonna be like a... It's gonna be a unpopular opinion, I guess I could say, but I would love to see Janet Jackson do the Super Bowl halftime performance. I know in 2018 she said she had no interest, and I don't blame her because of how they treated her and how they essentially ruined her career after that incident. But I would love to see her perform because I feel like it would be like, I don't know, I think it would be closure on the situation because that is something that plagues her 
career now. I feel like we don't really talk about Janet Jackson or appreciate her without bringing up that Super Bowl nip slip, which can be probably extremely annoying. And I feel like having her come back and do a killer performance would shut all that shit down. It would, you would go from talking about the nip slip to, oh my God, do you remember Janet Jackson's Super Bowl halftime performance from 2020 something where she killed it? That's the last, that'll be the lasting reminder of a Super Bowl performance from Janet versus talking about the nip slip. It's like when you put on an incredible performance or you do something incredible, people have no choice but to speak about that instead of, a mistake you made years ago. And I really don't even say, I really don't even want to say mistake because I don't really think that was on her. I think it was just an unfortunate incident that happened, but I would like to see her come back and kill it and kind of shut people up and be like, this is Janet Jackson. This is what she fucking does. She's incredible. She's a legend. Um, but I don't see that happening, unfortunately, because Janet said she had no interest in doing it. And again, I can understand why she wouldn't, but I would be here for a Janet Jackson halftime performance. So moving on from halftime shows, I did want to talk about Malcolm and Marie. Of course, you know I had to talk about it. It seems like everybody and their mother was talking about that movie, because of course they were. And I want to give a quick spoiler alert if you have not seen the movie yet and you plan on watching it and you do not like spoilers, definitely fast forward to um, the next topic. So I finally watched it, I believe, Sunday night because that was during the Super Bowl. I sat down and watched the movie with my mom. I love watching certain movies with my mom because we have similar tastes in movies and we hadn't watched a movie together in a little minute so when... The full trailer for Malcolm and Marie dropped. I sent it to my mom and said, hey, does this look like something you want to watch? I already plan on watching it. If you want to watch it, let's just watch it together. She wanted to watch it because, again, the trailer did look good. And we watched it, and I gotta say, I was extremely disappointed with the movie. Um, I saw some of the chatter online, like Twitter, from people disliking the movie, but I took it with a grain of salt because... People were hating on the movie strictly because of Zendaya way before the trailer even came out. I think there people have this weird thing with Zendaya. I've talked about it in the past. Anything that they were anything that they could find from the trailer or what they read about from the movie before it even came out, they were picking apart. I remember they had an issue with John David Washington and Zendaya's age gap. I think Zendaya is I think she's only two years older than me, so she's 25, I think. I think John David Washington's in his 30s, and people are like, oh my god, that's such a weird age gap, like they look weird together, and I really think it's because people are know Zendaya as the child actress that she was on Disney, but she's not that anymore. She's a grown woman, and I look at Zendaya, and I don't see a little kid. I see a woman in her 20s. And John David Washington does not look like a man who's in his 30s. So the pairing, to me, visually was not awkward. But, you know, people always have something to say. So when I saw the... Um when I saw some people criticizing the movie online like I said I took it with a grain of salt because I also am not the type of person that tries to base my opinions on what other people think I like to form my own and I also try to avoid looking at what other people had to say about the movie so that it doesn't form some kind of bias um in my opinion so I think I did a pretty good job of avoiding that the trailer to me had promised but the movie did not deliver at all and that happens a lot of times where the 
the movie companies will put out a really strong trailer, but um, the movie just does not reflect the trailer at all. And this was the case for Malcolm and Marie. First off, I want to start by saying that John David Washington and Zendaya aren't the problem at all. In fact, their performances were the only saving grace of the movie. They could only work with what they were given, and I'm not blaming them for that. The main issues with this film was the direction and the dialogue. Both the direction and dialogue seemed to go nowhere and was kind of all over the place with no real point. The dialogue didn't help progress the film at all. There were far too many monologues that made no sense at all and seemed to be written strictly to create dramatic effect, but instead it fell extremely flat and caused me to lose interest and zone out. Literally, my mom, we were like drinking and she went to go put our cups in the sink, get a snack, came back, and John David Washington's character was still ranting and I'm telling you she did not miss a single thing in the movie. Like nothing that she missed was crucial enough for her to know. Like, she came back and was not confused about what was going on in the movie at all because his monologue had no point. It also seemed like the writer didn't know what he wanted the main and lasting point of the film to be. Was it about Malcolm and Marie's toxic relationship? Was it Marie's addiction? Was it Malcolm's narcissism? Or his? Or was it about his film that he directed? Who knows, because the movie tried to tackle this all at once and it made the movie very chaotic. When you try to cover a whole bunch of different storylines in a movie it can cause your audience to become confused they can't keep track of what's going on they can't find the point and then they lose interest and that's exactly what happened for my mom and I another thing I hated was the pacing of this movie it starts off fine with tension slowly building between the two characters which leads to their first argument however the pacing becomes awkward when they continue to fight and make up throughout the movie it's like they go from fighting to laughing to fighting back to fighting again and it becomes like pointless it was kind of like Fitz and Olivia at a certain point during Scandal it's like you you get to a point where you don't even care if they stay together or if they break up it's like Marie would find any little thing to get mad at him about. He would leave the room in anger and then come back to finish a point. But he'd be gone for like a two awkward minute gap and then come back just to resume the argument. It was very, very awkward. Like I said, instead of have, instead of them having one lasting argument, they had several and they made up several times throughout the film, which left me confused. It also seems as if the writer took on too much and gave Malcolm and Marie too much to fight about. They tried way too hard to fit both of the characters' complicated pasts into one movie, which wasn't needed in my opinion because, again, a lot of their arguments, instead of having the one lasting argument, a lot of their other arguments were petty and seemed like they, it just, they weren't needed. Like, I'm trying to, like, off the top of my head, think about one argument that they had. Like, they started arguing a lot about Marie's past with her addiction, but her original, the original argument was about him not thanking her in his speech. And the root of her issue was really about him not appreciating her. So the first argument in the movie starts off strong. She has a strong and valid point, And then it gets lost in these stupid little petty arguments that don't progress the film at all. The movie would have worked a lot better if Malcolm and Marie consistently argued the whole night instead of taking odd breaks in between the movie. I couldn't spoil the ending of the movie if I wanted to because it made no sense at all to me and was very lackluster. The only quality monologue in this movie and the only one that really made sense was Zendaya's towards the end of the movie where Marie pleads with Malcolm to thank her and be more appreciative towards her. 
I really started this movie with an open mind and was hopeful that the chatter online was just from haters, but this movie just wasn't good at all. Zendaya and John are great actors though, so I'm not holding it against them because like I said, they could only work with what they were given, but I definitely wouldn't watch this movie a second time. Usually before I review movies on my podcast, I do try to watch the movie twice, but between not having a whole lot of time and also having no interest in putting myself through that movie again, I decided not to, and I really didn't need to watch the movie a second time to tell you guys what I felt. I pretty much already started reviewing the movie as like maybe midway through the film, and usually that's not a good thing for me. If I already can come up with a review more than halfway through the movie, then that means the movie definitely did some things wrong, and I made note of it, and this movie did a lot of things wrong. But like I said, it's not going to hurt either of them. They're both fantastic actors. Zendaya, I think, gets to shine on Euphoria. I have not seen the show yet. It's on my list of shows to watch. But she, I think she won an Emmy for it. Um, and she's gotten a lot of praise for it. John David Washington was amazing in Tenet. I believe that they're both going to have long and successful careers. Malcolm and Marie is going to be a blip in their filmography. Moving on from Malcolm and Marie... A few trailers for Falcon and the Winter Soldier have dropped, and though I was never a huge fan of either character, especially Bucky, but that's a different conversation for a different episode. Marvel has me locked in because their content is usually always so damn good, so I'll be giving it a chance. I'm also going through Marvel withdrawals right now, I'm not gonna lie, and WandaVision and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be able to get me through until the movie theaters start operating again like normal. When Falcon and the Winter Soldier drops, I will definitely be letting you know what I think of the show. I'm not, I'm trying my hardest not to review every WandaVision episode on my podcast, but I'm telling you, ever since episode four, the show has gotten so much better. And literally, I can't wait. Every every Friday, I'm like, I can't wait. I think it's definitely a smart thing that Disney Plus decides to release Um, an episode kind of like normal TV works where it's one episode each week to make you wait. Obviously, that's also to force people to become subscribers of Disney Plus instead of just, you know, getting a free trial, watching all the binge watching all the episodes and getting rid of it. So I definitely think it's a smart choice to do. Because every time I watch an episode of WandaVision, I'm like, I don't want to have to wait another Friday to to know what happens. But WandaVision is definitely picked up in steam. I definitely think it's going to be, I know it's not built that way, but it's definitely going to be a limited series type of thing because realistically, a show, the way WandaVision is working with um, Wanda creating this reality and Vision, you know, spoiler alert, if you don't already know, Vision is dead. So obviously they can't live in this reality forever and we already know she's going to be in the Doctor Strange movie, so whatever happens in WandaVision most likely gets resolved before that movie comes out or before that movie takes place. So obviously WandaVision will be more of a limited series type of thing. And I think it works that way because I think if they were to give us three or four seasons, they'd just be dragging it at that point. But it's been really, really good. If you need some new shows to get into and you've never watched anything Marvel related, I still would recommend WandaVision because it is quality TV from the way it's shot to the way it's written. It's incredible. So definitely give it a chance. 
Tina Turner announced a new documentary on HBO Max. It's coming out on March 27th, I believe. And I love music-related documentaries and biopics, so I'll definitely be tuned in. I'm not going to act like I'm a huge, huge Tina Turner fan. I know a few of her songs, but no, it's not like I own every album. But like I said, I'm a music nerd. I always love to learn about artists, especially legendary artists like Tina Turner. Um, So I will definitely be listening I mean, not listening, I'll be watching. And also, I believe Diane, um, Dionne Warwick, that's how you say her name, Dionne Warwick, she announced that she, I think, is planning a biopic of her own with Tiana Taylor um, set to direct and star. And it's kind of crazy how these ideas can get started on Twitter and then blossom. Because I remember when Dionne started using her Twitter more, she had teased the idea of, you know, she was like, made a joke about how her and Tiana are related, they're cousins or whatever. And then she had mentioned that if she ever did a biopic, that she'd want um, Tiana to star in it. And I think it's a great time for her to do a biopic because again, her Twitter, everybody loves her tweets. She's hilarious. And so that, and I'm going to talk about this, like, in a few seconds, her being um, nominated for the Rock and Ho- uh, Roll Hall of Fame, it's a perfect time right now for her to start doing a biopic. So I'll be watching that as well. Tiana's a dope actress as well, and I-, I really love that she's been getting more into directing. She has her own production company. So I definitely will be supporting that. Hopefully it's on a streaming service that I have, or maybe it'll just come out in, in the theaters. Who knows? But I will definitely be checking both of those out. Like I said, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced their 2021 nominees, and among them are, of course, Dionne Warwick, Tina Turner, Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, LL Cool J, and many others. I really do hope that Jay, Mary, LL, Tina, and Dionne snag some wins. I think up to five artists can um, snag a spot, so I am hoping that those fives do... I mean, not those fives. Those five do, especially Mary J, because I love me some Mary J. My mom's a huge fan, so she was definitely um, a huge reason for why I know so much of Mary's music. And I definitely think she's not in my household, she's not underrated, but I think in music conversations, Mary's not mentioned in R&B as much as she should be. She is the queen of hip-hop soul. She has inspired and impacted a lot of people's favorite R&B artists today, from her to, you know, Janae to Tiana Taylor. Like, I can hear her influence in a lot of R&B music, and I feel like she's extremely underrated, so I really do hope she snags a spot because she deserves it, and her impact on music in general, you can hear it. So I do hope that um, she wins. If she doesn't win this year, hopefully next year. I know sometimes when artists don't snag a spot, the next year they're still, um, nine times out of ten, they're nominated again because I think Janet Jackson had been nominated for a few years before she actually won. So uh, I see it in the cards for Mary. Moving on, DMX announced that his upcoming project will have features from Pop Smoke and Griselda, which makes sense in 2021. And... In 2021, these artists would be who'd I expect DMX to work with, and Pop and Griselda are both from New York, so it's only right. I do like DMX, so I'm interested to hear what an album from him in 2021 would sound like. I haven't heard music from him in years, probably since he was still in his prime, so hopefully he still got it and he's not one of these 
artists that eventually just lose their spark and sound washed on tracks. I'm hoping that, especially after the Rough Riders um, documentary on BET, after that's come out, sometimes when artists are step away from the music scene for a while and then they have a documentary that comes out, it kind of gives them new life again. And DMX seems to, in that documentary anyway, he seemed to have new life again and he seemed to have a passion for music again. He seemed healthier. I know... I think it was, was it last year? I know recently he got out of, he came out of rehab. So I assume that he's doing a lot better than he had been in the past. So I think now is a good time as ever for DMX to come out with something new. I'll definitely check it out. The Judas and the Black Messiah soundtrack was released. I mean, the, the, um, the track list for the soundtrack, I should say. The sound, the track list for the soundtrack was released, and it'll feature um, many artists, but specifically a collab from Jay-Z and Nipsey Hussle, a song I already know is going to be hyped up whether it's good or bad, songs from ASAP Rocky, Nas, Her, and many others. There are a lot of artists I like that are featured on this soundtrack, so I'll definitely be listening to it when it drops this Friday. I do hope this Jay-Z and Nipsey collab is as good as everybody is already hyping it up to be, or a lot of people are going to be disappointed, I'm sure. I think this movie is coming out on HBO Max. The guy from Get Out, I'm blinking on his name right now, he was in Get Out and Black Panther. He's in this movie. Um, I've seen some negative things about the movie, but I'm still, I'm gonna, like I did with Malcolm and Marie, I'm still gonna give it a chance and form my own opinion. I'm gonna review it on my podcast, of course, and I definitely have to get around to watching the Denzel movie and Jared Leto movie on HBO Max before it goes, because it's only gonna be up there for a month, and the trailer for that looked really good, so I hope that these movies don't disappoint me in the way that Malcolm and Marie did. Moving on, thank you next, Ariana Grande's I want to say it's her fifth album, because I think Positions is her sixth album. Celebrated two years. I can't believe 2019 was even two years ago, but 2020 felt like five years in one, so I guess it kind of does. And 2019 was definitely a better time. Like I said a million times before, I got to see her on tour, one of my favorite concert experiences, because I got to go see one of my favorite artists with one of my favorite people, Isaac, so we had a great time, and there was just some good music that came out in 2019. It was like a slow year for music, but the music that did drop were really, really good. There were really, really good releases, and this album marked Ariana's rise as a mega pop star, and it's been incredible watching her transform into a big star in real time. Not to flex, but I've been a fan of her since Victorious, like a lot of a lot of people. Actually, I say like a lot of people because, you know, people in my age group, all of us watched Victorious growing up and, you know, we became fans of her that way. But there are a lot of her fans today that actually were too young to remember Victorious or just didn't watch the show and they know her as Ariana Grande, the pop star, which blows my mind. That's kind of like people... Drake fans never having heard So Far Gone until he released it on streaming services or not even knowing him from Degrassi, which blew my mind. Um, But there are, I guess that shows how big of a star she's become that now people know her for other reasons outside of Victorious. But 
it's been like I said, it's been incredible watching her rise. I can't wait to see how much bigger she gets because like I said, I don't think she's anywhere near her peak yet. So I can't wait to hear what more incredible music she has in store and if positions is any indicator of what's to come, it's definitely going to be great. She also announced that the 34 plus 35 remix music video is dropping this Friday and the Positions Deluxe album will come out February 19th. And like I said last episode, it's going to be featuring five new songs, including the 3435 remix. She also released a, well, she posted her Doja and Megan posted pictures from the behind the scenes of the music video. And like I said before, I think I literally said this last week, I don't think a 34-35 remix needed a music video, but I do love Megan Thee Stallion, I do love Ariana Grande, so I'm not gonna be, I'm gonna watch it, I'm not gonna be mad, but I do wish that she pushed another song from this album instead and gave that a music video because there are so many dope songs off of positions. But some people pointed out that the next single from this album will most likely be on the deluxe. So I'm pretty sure I'll like the del- the songs off of the deluxe as well, especially if they were made during the time that positions was made. Because I feel like I can tell, and I don't know if other people can too, I'm sure you can, Sometimes you can tell when a deluxe album, the deluxe songs on an album weren't created during the original album sessions. Like when, for example, when the Positions Deluxe comes out, if these songs were made after the position, the original position songs were made, you can tell. So I think that's what separates good deluxe albums from bad ones where the bad ones are just, okay, well, we want to keep giving this album new life, we want additional money and streams, so let's just make some new songs, call it a deluxe and put it out, versus, oh, these were songs I really loved that fit, you know, the theme of my album, but just didn't make the cut, and I want you guys to hear them, you know, kind of like JoJo's Good to Know album, that was probably the only good deluxe album that came out last year, and you can tell that they were all created during that session, and I'd be shocked if they weren't, They were, then she just got lucky and they were good songs, but I don't think Ariana's the type to do that, I kind of think that the songs from the deluxe version of Positions were created during the original album. So I'm looking forward to the deluxe album. I like I because I said I made my point, you know why I'm not usually crazy about deluxe albums, but Positions was such a good album and since I have a feeling that these songs were created while she made that album, I have a feeling that they're gonna be good. And to me, this album didn't need a deluxe to get new life because I've been listening to it nonstop since it's come out. But again, I am excited for new music from her. So I can't wait to talk about it with you guys, let you guys know my opinion. And that's really all I have to say about Ariana Grande. I want to move on to Bryson Tiller. I've already talked about this, but he, I guess we can say it's official now. He revealed officially that his Serenity album will come out in three parts. Each volume will have a different genre. There will be a pop one, rap, and an R&B volume. He admitted that he doesn't know when it'll come out because he has to figure out his label situation, which could mean he's currently renegotiating his contract. After the Megan Thee Stallion situation and most recently the Def Jam Kanye situation last year, a lot of artists are realizing that they're in similar situations and bad deals and want to fix their contracts. Um, So Bryson is probably due for a contract negotiation considering he doesn't really have a lot of albums under RCA. This anniversary marked his third one. So I'm not overly surprised that, you know, he's kind of, you know, going over politics with his label at the moment. 
I guess this means we won't really get a winter album from him this year. Like he said, I guess the anniversary deluxe album will count as the second album from him this year. The anniversary deluxe album was supposed to come out this month, but he hasn't said anything else about it since last year. So who knows if it's been pushed or if a deluxe is even still coming out. I personally don't think a deluxe version of the anniversary album is needed because I think the album is perfectly packaged the way it is, but I'll take new music from him if it's good. I did see a lot of people hating on the possibility of Bryson doing a pop album. I don't think we should judge it right away because we never know what an artist is capable of if they don't step outside of their box. I'm not gonna lie, when he first announced that he was gonna be doing a pop album, I was like, I don't know how Bryson Tiller would sound on pop music, but he is a talented artist, he's a good writer, I think he's capable of putting out good music, so I am going to go into Serenity with an open mind. I'm also not surprised that he has so much music for Serenity because he's been teasing this album directly after True to Self, I believe. He's been working on this for three or four years. So I'm not surprised that he has a lot of music. I do hope that this project doesn't end up sounding like a whole bunch of fillers just for the sake of, oh, I recorded all this music. It has to go somewhere. I'm just going to give it to you guys. I do hope that he and his team, I think the A&R is usually in charge of this. I do hope they weed out the strong tracks and don't put a whole bunch of fillers into Serenity. I am hopeful that because he's breaking it into three volumes, there is like a less likely chance that it will be filled with fillers rather than him just making it one long album, kind of like Chris Brown has been doing with his past couple of albums. So I'm going to go into Serenity with an open mind, not with just, you know, I'm not just going to listen to the R&B and rap. I am also going to give the pop volume a chance. And I can't wait because Bryson has taken a long time off of music. And though Anniversary was a good album, I do want him to put out more music afterwards because I think Anniversary was only 13 or 14 songs. So I could definitely use more music from Bryson. I anticipate that Serenity will probably come out, um, each volume will probably come out per year, and until his contract or his label situation is is fixed, I anticipate maybe 2022 um, to 2024 will probably get the entire Serenity project. Moving on from Bryson Tiller, I wanted to talk about Lucky Day, who is dropping a new EP on February 12th called Table for Two. I am excited from for new music from him because he hasn't dropped a solo body of work since 2019. I do wish though, because Lucky Day did this with his first album, where he put out two EPs and then the songs from those EPs made it onto his album and I think he only had about four or five new songs. And a lot of artists are doing that. Giveon, I'm afraid that he might do that on his album because his Take Time EP was so successful. I'd be really shocked if Like I Want You was not included. I'd be surprised if Stuck On You from his newest EP wasn't included. And I kind of hate when artists do this. Travis Garland did it with his 2013 self-titled album, He put out a couple of mixtapes before the album and a lot of those songs did end up making the cut on his self-titled album. I believe he had maybe a little bit more newer songs, like maybe he had six or seven new songs, but it was kind of, I, I hate that because it's like, okay, half of this album is music that I've already listened to, I've heard before, I've sat with it, I love it. By the time the album comes out, I want 
I want a whole new body of work. I don't want half of your album to be songs I've already heard and listened to and have from other projects. I feel like it's kind of lazy, especially these days. I mean, with Travis Garland, this was before streaming was really a thing. But these days, it's kind of lazy because it's like, okay, I have a couple of EPs. These two songs really blew up there. Or these four songs really blew up on this EP, so let's just put them on the album and then we'll give them three new songs. Call it a new album and just give it to them like that. I was fine with it on Painted because back then when I was listening to those two EPs, I had only maybe really replayed about two or three of the songs from each EP. So when Painted came out, I hadn't heard some of those songs in a long time. So I was okay with it. It was still kind of a fresh album. I do hope that now that I'm a bigger fan of Lucky Day and I'll probably return to this um, Table for Two EP more than I did with his EP one and part one and two I think that's what he called it I do hope that he does not pull the same thing where he takes half of this EP and puts it on his album I'll be kind of disappointed I hope that Giveon doesn't do that with his debut album I know so far what he's from what he's teased this album is 12 songs long so I'm hoping that if anything only two songs from the EP and I mean one song from Take Time and um one song from the new EP I can't remember the name of the last EP Giveon put out I hope it's like one song from each EP that ends up making the album and the rest is original music but not to get too far because um I do want to talk about the new song that he released last week which is called On Red which features Tiana Major 9 I'm gonna be honest I've heard better songs from Lucky Day on Red isn't a bad song necessarily, it's just nothing special from an artist that I know is capable of more. I'm sure there will be better songs on the EP though. This EP has seven songs, if the Genius tracklist is accurate. So I'm pretty sure there are going to be songs on there that I love, but On Red just is nothing special. It'll come and go. Maybe when I listen to the entire EP, it'll fit better, because sometimes songs on their own don't really catch my attention but I'm when I'm listening to it on a full body of work it may grow on me so that could be the case I've only listened to the song a few times so you know I'm open to listening to it again and you know being honest if it does grow on me moving on to Cardi B who finally released her new single up I do like the song it has high energy and it's extremely danceable I'm sure TikTok will eat it up I think there's already a challenge going around for it so there you have it the music video was also dope of course but if there's one thing Cardi will do it's give us great visuals even if the song is subpar I would love to hear Cardi rap on some different kinds of beats up sounds almost identical to money and yes it works but it won't work forever or on a whole album so hopefully her upcoming album has some diversity. Some of my favorite lines from Up is, quote, Broke boys don't deserve no pussy, I know that's right. And, quote, It's big bags busting out the Bentley Bentega man, Birkin bag, Barty back, and all you bitches fucked. Now that was a tongue twister because there are a lot of B words in that line. I'm surprised I didn't fumble, thank God. Like, I should pat myself on the back for that. And I like those lines because it's Cardi at her best, which is just poking fun at people, having a good time, and being extremely cocky. And you gotta love her confidence. So, from what I remember, I think it was last year when, when Cardi last talked about, you know, her upcoming album, she compared the album's content to Beyonce's Lemonade album. And at the time, I was like, okay, cool. But now, I kind of think it 
I don't want it. I don't want Cardi B to put out a Lemonade type of album because with Beyonce and Jay-Z, they are they were a very, very private couple. And when that video of Solange and them in the elevator got leaked, it was a big shock because that was the first time anybody had ever had like a window into what went on in that marriage. They were very, very private. I mean, they didn't even admit they were married for the longest time. So it kind of forced them to have to kind of be honest in their music because now we all saw that they have issues. They're like every normal human being. They're like every normal married couple. And so it forced Lemonade, it forced 444. So with Cardi B, I feel like when she comes out saying, oh, this album is going to be like Lemonade, I can't help but feel like it's a gimmick, especially because, okay, she filed for divorce from Offset and about like less than a month later, they were back together because she missed having sex with him. Like, I feel like her saying, oh, my album is kind of be like Lemonade, it's going to be, of course, people are going to be like, well, if she's going to be talking about the downfalls of her marriage, I have to listen because, you know, us as a society, when an artist goes through a breakup, whether it's a divorce or just breaking up with their longtime partner or their, they got their heart broken, we always say, oh, their album, their next album is going to be fire because heartbreak sometimes creates some of the best music. And so I feel like some artists know that and they use that to their their advantage. They, you know, publicize their breakup. They, they eat off of their breakup because they know that's what people are talking about. And I feel like that's what Cardi B was attempting to do when she mentioned that her album was going to be like Lemonade. I, like I said before, I wouldn't have put it past either of them if they purposely kind of drummed up divorce drama just so that they could get attention for music because, I mean, Cardi doesn't really need it per se. It's been a minute since she's dropped an album, but Cardi's kind of still hot out here. But the Migos are on a decline. They need that attention. And as soon as it was announced that she filed for divorce, Offset was teasing music on Instagram. So I really wouldn't put it past either of them to kind of use their relationship, whether it's having another child or getting a divorce or breaking up briefly to sell records. I wouldn't put it past them. So I really do. This was said last year, I think in an interview with a magazine. I don't remember which one. I do hope that she's changed the direction of this album. I wouldn't be surprised either because her and Offset are back together, but I do not want a lemonade, at least in content. I don't want that type of album from Cardi because I'm going to see right through it and the music's going to come off as phony to me, lemonade to me. Of course, I people can say I'm biased because I'm a, I'm a Beyonce fan and they know how much I love the Lemonade album, but Lemonade was deeper than just about her marital woes with Jay-Z. It had real heart and a real strong message. So that's why Lemonade works for me. But for Cardi B... To make an album about the downfalls of her marriage is just gonna seem phony to me. So, like I said, I do hope her album has changed direction. I know she said she's recorded 50-something songs for the album so far, and she doesn't really have a, a real direction for the album right now, which is not... It's not making me feel good about the album right now. It sounds like she just has a bunch of songs recorded with no real theme, no real direction. So, I do hope that something comes together for her. I, a lot of eyes are on her right now because the sophomore slump is a thing, and I'm praying that Cardi does not fall into that slump. Moving on, I wanted to talk about g Easy and Chris Brown's new single called Provide. And I gotta say, anytime I hear a blatant sample in a song, I know that Hitmaker produced it. 
At this point, I'm not sure he knows how to produce a beat without relying on a sample heavily. It's very lazy and a cheap attempt at forcing a hit through nostalgia, at least in my opinion. Even Chris Brown's hook is eh. Usually Chris can save a song, but this song is just another boring 90s replica. G-Eazy to me is a very subpar rapper that relies on cheesy and typical Tumblr-like rhymes. He just doesn't appeal to me at all, and any song I like by him is usually because the feature is the best part of the track. I think the last song that I saved by him is a song that features Black Bear, and I think it's... I, uh, what is it called? I have to go, hold on, let me go into my Spotify and, and look it up. I haven't listened to it in a minute, but I really do. I think it's called I Hate The Way, and I think I reviewed it on my podcast not that long ago. And I'm not a huge fan of Black Bear like that either, but I really do like what he brings to the song. I like the hook, um, and that's why I really, really like the song. I don't really care for g Easy's verses like that. It's okay. But usually when I like a song from him, it's because of the feature. So there's not much else to really say about Provide. I know a lot of Chris Brown fans were kind of pushing the song and streaming it and and doing all these streaming parties that fans do and stuff like that. Honestly, I wouldn't waste your breath on that song. I really don't see it going anywhere because, again, it's very boring and it sounds like every other hitmaker produced beat. I'm just, I think I'm kind of over Hitmaker at this point. I think after the Mai Tai album, I was kind of over it. I'm kind of done. And like I said, I don't really see this track going anywhere. I also wanted to talk about Jordan Sparks, who released a new song as well. She's been releasing more music lately, which I'm here for, and I'm hoping this is leading up to an album. And most recently, she released a new song called You Still Think of Me. You Still Think of Me is a stunning ballad, and Jordan's vocals really get to shine on this track. I also love the raw emotion and vulnerability she showcases on this song, and it's something I haven't heard from her in a little while. It's also a really well-written track as well, and I love songs like this where the lyrics are so descriptive that you can picture what she's singing about vividly or you can relate to her emotions. Between this song, Homebody, and her Christmas EP, she's more than made up for Red Sangria because y'all know how I felt about that song. And it's a good indicator of her upcoming album. My favorite lines on this song are, quote, You were waking up in other people's sheets. You should try and practice what you preach. I still wonder how the hell you sleep. Because I love the rhyme scheme, and I also love what she's saying, too. It's real. Moving on from Jordan, I did want to talk about... um, this new her lawsuit that I read about yesterday. So her, DJ Camper, and the other writers involved in the making of the song Focus are being sued for allegedly stealing the song from another composer. His name is Andre Sims. I listened to the original song, which is called Endless Minds, and let me tell you, it's an open and shut case because Focus is definitely a direct ripoff of Endless Minds. The core of Focus what makes the song what it is, is Endless Minds. Like, without a doubt, if you heard the original, you'd agree. There's no doubt. It also doesn't help that DJ Camper admitted to stealing the song on video, so I'm sure Andre Sims will get a heavy bag for that. And how dumb can you be? It's bad enough you stole a song, but to admit it on video? Come on. And I definitely think that the original composer, Andre Sims, definitely deserves a lot of money for this. Stealing other people's art is disgusting, and if I was Andre, I'd take all of the royalties. 
especially after he allegedly reached out several times to have this worked out. I love my girl Her and I love this song, but I ain't feeling this. I don't know if Her knew the song was stolen originally, which is why artists need to be aware of what's going on in the production process so that they don't get sued as well. And not even just for that, like with, um, I think it was Juice World, he had sampled Sting and it's known that if you sample Sting, you ain't getting shit. He's taking everything. So, and, and I don't think that Juice World knew that at the time. So he made no money off of that song and that's his biggest song to date. I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the song at at the moment, which is crazy to me because it's it was such a big record for him. I feel like artists should do their research and, and talk to their producers and be like, hey, can you pull up the beat for me? What what samples did you use? Who are we going to have to clear this beat with? Because a lot of these artists, they don't know what their producers are sampling. And then five months later or five years later, they're getting sued because they sampled this from XYZ and the person didn't get paid. I also wouldn't be surprised if her did eventually find out and just decided not to do anything about it because, hey, artists can be assholes. If this is the case, this is her karma, but again, I am sad because Focus is a is like one of her biggest songs. It's like one of her, I think it's her breakout song. And it's, it's, it's such, it's so beautifully composed. It really is. Um... So hopefully they get this worked out and Andre Sims gets what he deserved because it's so blatant that they did steal the song from him. I wouldn't even need video proof of DJ Camper admitting he stole the song. It's very, very clear. So moving on from music for a little bit, I had to talk about Gorilla Glue Girl, who I'm sure you're as sick of hearing about as I am. So if you by chance don't know what's going on, here is a little background. So a woman, I believe her name is Tessica, she went viral on TikTok last week, or I should say this week, it's been all week, when she posted a TikTok saying that she put Gorilla Glue, yes, Gorilla Glue, in her edges, and her hair is now stuck to her scalp. I think she said it's been a month with her hair being in this condition. She and her sister have tried several different ways to get this Gorilla Glue out of her head, including acetone, I think um, the alcohol used for nail polish remover or something like that. She's tried literally everything. She went to the hospitals to see if they could do anything. I think they just kind of gave her rubbing alcohol. Nothing has worked, and now she is suing the Gorilla Glue company. Yeah, she's suing them. For something she willingly put into her scalp. And as the story continued to unfold, and and now, by the way, a surgeon has offered to do the surgery that it takes to remove this. Apparently, it's like a two-day surgery for free. It usually costs about 12k. A lot of people have donated to her GoFundMe page. And as the story considered continued to unfold, I just couldn't help but wonder if this was all for clout. Because I don't understand how you can make such an idiotic mistake by putting Gorilla Glue, something that cements to whatever it's bonded to, how you can make that mistake of putting it on your scalp and how you have the audacity to sue because it's clear as day on that can. I've looked it up, the warnings that they give you. It's not to go on your skin, nothing in your scalp, their skin on your scalp. 
So I don't know why you read that can and said, okay, it's not okay for skin, but it's okay for my hair. And not only was that an idiotic mistake, but the people defending her are even more idiotic because there is no defending that. How do you confuse got to be glue with Gorilla Glue? I, I don't understand. Apparently there's some kind of hair company called Gorilla Snot, which sounds disgusting, <laughs> but apparently it's a hair product. And some people are trying to say that she confused Gorilla Snot with Gorilla Glue. I don't buy any of that shit. I think the warnings on that can are clear as day. I've seen that can in person because I don't know who I was with. I think they were using it for a chair or something like that. Something to glue something together. I know how strong that shit is. So there is really no defending that mistake. It was just a dumb mistake or it was something for clout. And she's getting plenty of it with even Beyonce's hairstylist offering to give her like a makeover or a wig or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised. And now there's a bunch of dumbass followers that are putting stupid shit in their hair for Cloud as well. Cloud is a hell of a drug. Could not be me. Despite the fact that I think that her mistake was very, very stupid, I do hope she gets the shit out of her hair. And I'm praying for her hair follicles because I don't I don't see how her hair could come back from this. I know your hair can bounce back from a lot, but putting something like Gorilla Glue in your scalp... Her hair is definitely fried. I know her sister cut some of her hair, hoping that it would like soften it a little bit. And it, it, it didn't work at all. It looks as hard as wood. And yeah, I'm, I'm praying for her. I hope that this surgeon who said that he's going to do the operation for free, I hope he's successful in getting the shit out. I hope she never does something as stupid as that shit again. And it's like someone said, you can pray for her and also think what she did was extremely dumb and I'm definitely one of those people I don't think there's any defending that that's the stupidest I couldn't believe it I thought it was a it was a joke at first but she really put gorilla glue in her hair so people be warned before you use a product please read directions I know a lot of people out there have a hard time with reading the directions or reading what's right in front of them but please read the directions before you use any product. That's just common sense. And that's all I have to say about that. So before the episode ends, I did want to talk about Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. If you don't know, every year on Super Bowl Sunday, it's Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. It was started in 2018 when it was announced that Justin Timberlake would be allowed to come back to the Super Bowl and perform. People were rightfully enraged and a bunch of Janet Jackson fans decided that you know what fuck Justin Timberlake fuck his performance fuck what they did to her and let's just you know appreciate and celebrate Janet Jackson and her music and I think it was an incredible thing to start I do wish though that Janet Jackson Appreciation Day was just solely about her and and we didn't have we don't have to keep rehashing the Justin Timberlake thing because we all know and saw it for what it was we know it was wrong we know how disgusting um, that whole situation was with how they blackballed and ruined her career, but he was allowed to continue on. We, we get that, and it, it's, it angers me every time I, you know, reread about that situation. But I do think that Janet Jackson Appreciation Day should just be that, celebrating her and her music and her legacy. I didn't get the chance to do what I usually do this past week because I was at work, but usually... 
you know, ever since that day was started, I like to revisit her Demita Joe album because Demita Joe was the album that was released not too long after the incident. And because she was blackballed from radio, the album failed. And Demita Joe is one of my favorite Janet Jackson albums. I'm sure I'm showing my age by saying that because I know a lot of OG Janet Jackson fans, they'll tell you that Control or Rhythm Nation, or even the self-titled Janet album is their favorite. And Control also celebrated 35 years, so that's also perfect timing. Um, but Demita Joe is one of my favorite albums because it's reflective of the sound that R&B was in in 2004, like from 2001 and 2006. A lot of people hype up the 90s. Well, I don't want to say hype up because it's definitely deserving of praise because it was the golden era, but I think a lot of people sleep on the early 2000s and how good the music was during that time as well, especially from 2001 to 2006 for R&B. There are a lot of great R&B albums that came out from Confessions to Beyonce's B-Day album to Mariah Carey's Emancipation of Mimi album. Like There were a lot of golden R&B albums that came out in the early 2000s, and Demita Joe would have been regarded as such if you know, the nip slip hadn't happened at the Super Bowl. So during Janet Jackson Appreciation Day, I always revisit that album. And I just think it deserves so much more love. And I know Mariah Carey fans, I think it was like a couple of years ago, they got the Glitter soundtrack album to rechart. Um, And it would be great if we were able to kind of do that for Janet with Demita Joe get that album to rechart because it really didn't get the proper promotion or or radio play that it deserved because of that bullshit um so that's what I do every year I listen to I re-listen to that album I didn't get to do it um last Sunday but I did a couple of days ago um re-listen to the album again it just reminded me how much I love it um to me Demita Joe is Janet Jackson's most neo-soul traditional R&B album because Janet Jackson is I hate to compare her to her brother, but she's a lot like Michael in the way that you can't put her in a box. She does all different music. She's got rock songs. She's got pop songs. I wouldn't be surprised if she, I don't know if I've really heard country and well, I guess she's had some kind of country inspired records, but she's kind of like, she's bigger than a genre. She's just Janet Jackson. But Demita Joe was her most neo soul type of album. And I do wish that she made more music like that because she she really she was really in her bag and Demita Joe I'm not gonna lie and it's just a shame that it didn't get to thrive the way I know that it would have if certain things hadn't happened so when you celebrate Demita um not Demita I mean technically when you celebrate Janet Jackson next year definitely listen to the Demita Joe album because it's so good some of my favorite songs from that album are Demita Joe my Baby, Spending Time With You, All Night Don't Stop, Like You Don't Love Me, and several, several others. Also, I Want You as well, but I'll get into that in a little bit. There are so many gems on this album, and like I said, if you, if you haven't heard it before, definitely listen to it. Don't even just appreciate Janet Jackson on Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. Celebrate her all the time because she's got an incredible discography, and I'm, I'm really glad that in 2018 I decided to dig into her discography in full because I fell in love with her music. So before the episode ends, I wanted to talk about the song of the week. And the song of the week is I Want You by Janet Jackson. It's my all-time favorite song off of Demita Joe, like I mentioned before. 
I, I just love how soulful the production is, and I absolutely love Janet's doo-wops and background vocals on the song. I, I know some haters like to talk about Janet's voice not being super strong, or oh, she sings like a whisper just because she's not like a belter like Whitney Houston, but I feel like on songs like I Want You, you can really hear, you can, it, it allows Janet's voice to kind of shine, and you can really here like she's got a really nice voice and and just because she doesn't belt high notes it doesn't make her a bad or a weak singer it's just not in her range and I think Janet has a nice solid range and a really good one and it shines on songs like I Want You. I definitely wish she like I said I definitely wish she put out more songs like this more R&B neo soul because she bodied this song and she bodied the Demita Joe album and I will I, that's one of the albums that I will always constantly defend because it's so good and I feel like not a, enough people appreciate it. But that's the song of the week, I Want You by Janet Jackson. If you haven't heard the song yet, definitely go check it out and just listen to the whole Demita Joe album and let me know what you think. We have come towards the end of the episode and I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I know I post my episodes a lot later than usual than I usually do but that's because I'm juggling work I got a new job so I'm juggling that with doing the podcast but I think I've been making up for it by putting out you know hour-long episodes so thank you guys for listening like I said earlier in the podcast episode if you want to support this podcast further then definitely head to my website www.listentomespeak.com or my anchor page and donate to the listeners donation and subscribe each month. I'd really, really appreciate it. If you want to keep up with me on social media, you can also do that through my website. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under Listen To Me Speak or Listen To Me Speak Podcast or Pod, any variation of that. And you can keep up with any updates regarding the podcast if ever I don't post an episode for a week or I have any special guests or something like that or, you know, new merch, then definitely follow me on social media And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.